Well, if you would again take your copy of the scriptures and open up with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be continuing on. This will be part 2 of a spirit-filled husband. We took a few weeks off, um, which was not announced, but you know, it was really to give the husbands time to get their act in order on the first part. And I've heard that you've mastered it. And so we're moving on to part two. Let's begin starting, we're going to read from Ephesians 5.22 down to verse 33. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands, love your wives just as or as Christ loved the church. There is a sense in which, if we understood that, truly understood this most perfect of illustrations, there would be no need to say anything else. It is upon this understanding of this love and your application of that understanding towards your wife that God will hold you accountable. What's the standard? Love your wife as Christ loves his church, his bride. So then no man who has not first been humbled and crushed by the weight of such a calling will ever find himself humble enough to fulfill it. Men, this is a calling that can only be understood and lived out on our knees. Paul must have understood this because when he begins to talk about the love of Christ, This is exactly what he does. Turn with me back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Listen to Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. He wants them to understand the love of Christ, which is exactly what we need to understand as husbands. He writes in verse 14 of chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, that is, according to the riches of all of His attributes, that's His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. What does this mean? Infinite in all directions. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul, having been crushed by the greatness of Christ's love, understood that a well so deep could only be drawn from by prayer. Husbands, if you want to truly love your wife as Christ has loved you and the church as he has called you, this is your prayer. Strengthen me with the power of the Spirit. Father, let me be rooted and grounded in love. Allow Christ to settle down and dwell in every area of my heart and cause me to know the love of Christ, a love that surpasses all knowledge. The result of this, the outcome of such a prayer, you would begin to love your wife as Christ loves. True inward Christ-likeness that overflows in your home. So Christ-like love must be the ruling and stabilizing principle of your marriage or else it's built upon the wrong foundation. Rooted, Paul says, and grounded in love. Everything you do must be motivated by love. You can do a lot of things, but the question is, is there love? Paul says, if I give away all that I have, 1 Corinthians 13, 3, I deliver up my body to be burned, the greatest act of sacrifice, but have not love, I gain nothing. It was all vain. And so we pray along with Paul, Father, give me this love that surpasses all knowledge. Knowledge combined with hate is destructive. Knowledge by itself is useless, but knowledge combined with love, this is powerful. And this is what Paul prays for, not an intellectual knowledge of Christ's love, and not simply that you would understand the kind of love intellectually and factually, but an intimate, deep knowledge of his love, which, by the way, comes only from living it out, experiencing it by faith, loving like Christ loved. Husbands, if you want to know the love of Christ, then start by loving your wife. Love her just as he has loved you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. What is this like? Verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. That's your calling. It's a calling that can only be fulfilled in the strength of the Spirit, which is why Paul prays, Father, fill us with your Spirit, with all the fullness of God, fill me that I might love like Christ. (laughs) Paul hasn't left this idea. He began this section on Christian relationships with this idea. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine. That is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why? So that you can love as Christ has called you. What does all this look like, filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, giving thanks, submitting to one another, wives submitting to your husband, husbands, what does it look like? Loving your wife just as Christ has loved the church. 
Are you spirit-filled? Is the Word of God in your home? Does your wife hear you address her with the Word? Is there a song in your heart for the Lord? Do you give thanks constantly, always giving thanks especially for the gift of your wife? Are you submitting your life to your wife by serving her as Christ? Do you love her as Christ? This is what the Spirit-filled husband looks like. These are the signs that the Spirit is truly at home in your heart. Now, maybe you yourself have never seen this. You didn't grow up in this kind of home. You didn't have a father who loved your mother as he was called to. And that being the case, you might think that you're a little bit behind or maybe even incapable, that you have an excuse. And sure, such a model might have been helpful, is helpful, but it's not ultimate. It's not a requirement. It cannot be used as an excuse. Christ is your ultimate model. Whether you've seen it modeled here on earth or not, Christ came down to earth to model it. It was recorded in the pages of Scripture so that you would have some steps to follow. And these steps can never be marred. They are perfect. Wives, you want something to pray for your husbands? Here it is right off the beginning. Pray Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Pray that he would be rooted and grounded in love. Pray that he would be filled with the Spirit. Pray that he would understand the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge. And husbands, you pray the same. Father, help me to understand this love. Now, we began looking at our passage a few weeks ago. And as we sought to understand this love, we had two questions. The two questions were, first, does my love sacrifice? That's how we know it's Christ-like love. It sacrifices. And secondly, does it sanctify? Sacrifice, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you love your wife? Do you sacrifice for your wife? Do you deny your desires for her needs? Pursuing her as Christ pursued you. Is your position of God-given leadership being used as an opportunity to serve her and to sacrifice for her? That was your love, sacrifice. That was the first question. Secondly, sanctify, verses 26 and 27. Is it a sanctifying love that you have? Husbands, not only are you to sacrifice, but also you are to be one of the chief instruments of sanctification in your wife's life. Husbands, love your wives that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's the Christ-like example that you are to follow. Love is always aimed at holiness, sanctification, purification. Always pointing others, or in this case, one's wife, in the direction of Christ-likeness. Christ sets the example, Psalm 23.3, the great shepherd, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is always where Christ goes. So if you are following Christ and your wife is following you, sanctification happens. This is where he leads. 
So we are called to love our wives sacrificially and in a way that encourages sanctification. That was our first two questions, but there are two more that are extremely important that we need to look at this morning. The first one is extremely convicting for us husbands. It is simply this, coming from verses 28 through 30, is your love caring? Is it caring? Do you love Christ? Do you love like Christ? Is your love caring? Ephesians 5, 28. In the same way, Paul writes, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. One commentator writes, For a husband's love for his wife to be like Christ's love for his body, the church, it must also be affectionately caring to the extent that he cares as much for her welfare as he does his own. Now, in some ways, we've just lessened the standard. Though a man's love for himself is certainly great, it is not as great as Christ's love for the church. And yet, nevertheless, this is an assumed constant. Because naturally, everyone loves themselves. And so what Paul is doing is he's calling upon your own self-love. And he's saying, why don't you come up to the front of the class, you sit there, and let's allow your self-love to teach you how to love. Listen up for a moment. He who loves his wife loves himself, and you should love your wife as your own body because that's what you do. Consider for a moment, Paul says, how you take care of yourself, each part of your body. Consider how you meet your own needs. And how you take care to fulfill your own desires. Consider how you seek your own comfort when something is weighing heavily upon you. How you rest when you are tired. Pursue your own pleasure during your free time. How you seek a remedy when you are sick. Take care to groom yourself each day. Why do you do this? Because you love yourself. Naturally. Because you love yourself. No one, Paul writes, ever hated his own flesh. Quite the contrary. He loves it. So the question overarching is, do I truly love my wife? And Paul says, here's one place you can start. Do you care for her as you care for yourself? And by the way, unless you are a middle school boy, you don't have to be told how to care for yourself. It's not an insult. I was once a middle school boy. All the men get it in here. This comes naturally. We know how to care for ourselves. We don't have to be told. So then according to Paul's logic, you care for your wife in the same way you should care for yourself, which is naturally. It's not a drudgery. In fact, you shouldn't even have to be told to do it. It should just flow from your nature. So also, the husband's love for the wife should be so instinctive, so innate, so ingrained, that it's just natural. A kind of built-in desire that is hardwired in, hardwired into the fabric of who you are. 
Because, and here's the theological truth that Paul uses, who you are includes her. She is one with you. You are one with her, one flesh, one person. Hence the statement, he who loves his wife loves himself. That's not just a cute, trite statement. That is theologically true, a reality. When you got married and said, I do, you became one, unified. Now note just a few verses down, Ephesians 5.31. Paul here is quoting from Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus quoted the same verse in Mark 10.7. And then he added this, So they are no longer two, they once were two, but now one flesh. The two have become one. So Paul's logic is very simple. If you want to love yourself, love your wife. You are one. Husbands, if you want to teach your kids theology in your home, you could open up a theological book, you could turn to your Bibles, or you could live it out by loving your wife just like you love yourself. Your kids will begin to know dad really thinks he is one with mom. Is it any wonder why the sanctity of marriage is no longer a thing in our country? No one has seen this lived out. Children aren't growing up in homes where dad is sacrificing his own desires for the sake of his flesh, his wife. If you want to truly protect the sanctity of marriage in this country, start by living out your theology. Do you truly believe you're one with your wife? Show it by your love. Love her. And by the way, I don't know if you've noticed, but despite your imperfections, you still love yourself. You still care for yourself. She may have some imperfections, but this should not stop you from loving yourself, your wife, your flesh. Hence Paul's summary statement, Ephesians 5.33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. These are your marching orders. Love her like you love you. Which, by the way, is just a rewording of the second greatest commandment. Yes, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second one, Mark 12, 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Your wife is your closest neighbor. We love her just like we love ourselves. And again, Paul brings this back to Christ. Because Christ is our model. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, cherishes it. And then he says this, just as Christ does the church. We are to sacrifice like Christ. We are to sanctify like Christ. And also we are to care just as Christ does. Nourish like Christ. Cherish like Christ. Why? Same logic. We are members of his body. You're unified with Christ, therefore Christ, of course, cares for you, loves you, sacrifices for you. The logic is simple. You are members with your wife, unified with her. 
Of course you should care for her. How does he care for you? He nourishes, he cherishes. Basically, he meets your needs. John 14, 13, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you. His heart is to care. 1 John 5, 14, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Why do we have this confidence? Because He has promised. Because He hears. According to this promise, you can be confident that Christ hears your requests. And so the question here is, can your wife be confident that you hear hers? Does she have that place to come to you with a need, knowing that your heart's desire is to meet it as it lines up with God's will? Again, the model is Christ. The promises of His provision are spread all throughout the pages of Scripture. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in the glory in Christ Jesus through our union. Because you're members with Christ, all your needs are supplied. Through our union with Christ, all of our needs, Paul says, are met. Does your wife know that? You are not Christ, but you should have that desire. Psalm 34, 9, O fear the Lord, you saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Romans 8, 32, a promise of provision. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It's a graciousness to His provision. Fear not, little flock, Luke 12, 32. Don't be worried. Why? He's the shepherd. You're in his care. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If I have it, I desire to give it. Psalm 23.1, here would be a great blueprint for our care. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? Because he provides for all of my needs. He cares He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is the best of provision. He leads me beside still waters, exactly what I need. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake, not only providing physically, but spiritually. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Why? He provides protection. Physically, spiritually, provision, sanctification, protection. If you want your marriage to be truly blessed, then take care of the one that God has blessed you with. He's equipped you to do so. Take care of your wife. When you know she has a need, seek to meet it. When there is something that will aid in her sanctification, seek to help her with this. Do everything you can to meet a need. Paul says we do this through nourishment, cherishing our wives. Two words, nourish is actually not what you would expect here because it's a word used in reference most often to the rearing of children, bringing up a child. In fact, it's used in Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but 
bring them up. That's the same word, nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What's he saying there? Husbands, you are called to bring up your wife, to raise up your wife, to nourish her to a place of greater maturity in Christ. Your desire for that child is that they would grow. And so also your desire for your wife is that she would grow. The fact that your wife hasn't arrived yet is no excuse not to show her love. Rather, it is an excuse to show her love by helping her to become everything Christ desires for her to be. You nourish her. And then we have this word, cherish. You are called to cherish your wife, which literally means to warm her with body heat. And the Lord, in His providence, His sovereignty, has provided you with an excellent opportunity over the next couple of days. It's cold. Warm her. Paul actually uses the same word in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. He uses it to describe care for his church. I love this. He says, but we were gentle among you. He provides an illustration. Like a nursing mother taking care of or literally warming her own children. Our love is not harsh. It's gentle, loving, tender. Probably no greater earthly picture of loving care than this. Husbands, you are to love your wives with a kind of tenderness, a tender care that you would see a mother demonstrate with a newborn baby. Because you love her. By the way, If a man doesn't do that, or if he does the opposite of that, well, 1 Timothy 5.8 tells us, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for his own household, in other words, if anyone does not care for his own, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And of course, we could just ratchet this up a little bit. Not only are we talking about our own household, but we're talking about your own flesh, your own wife. Paul says, if you don't care for your wife, you're denying the faith. You're worse than an unbeliever. Even an unbeliever does this. Logic is simple. Such a man knows nothing of the tender care of Christ. He cannot be a believer. And by the way, this care goes well beyond just saying you care. James makes this point, James 2.15, If a brother or sister is without clothing in need of daily food, one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warm to be filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, there's nothing to back up that care. What does he say? It's dead. Husbands, if you're not caring for your wife, your faith is dead. It's not existent, regardless of what you say. That's James's point. So then, you love your wife by caring for your wife. Which is just another way to say, serve her. Serve her. When I was in college, I waited tables and I had one statement up my sleeve. This is the success to being a good waiter. 
You go up to the table and you say, is there anything I can get you? You have a need? Anything I can do to help you out? Go to your wife. Ask her, is there anything I can do for you? Because I'm called to serve you, and I, and I really can't do my job if I don't know what your needs are. Just tell me. I'll, I'll go. I, I might spill the drinks on the way. Sorry about that. I'll pick it up. I just want to serve you. Does your love care? That's the first question. And then another question, which is so needed in our culture. Is your love faithful? Verses 31 through 33. Is your love faithful? We take it from the statement in verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A lot you could say about this. This statement is plastered all over Scripture, obviously extremely important, but I want to focus in on this idea of holding fast to your wife, which comes right after the idea of leaving one's father and mother. And so right here from the very beginning, we know that you cannot hold fast to your wife if you have not left your father and mother, which in the Greek is a really intense term. It means forsake, abandon is the idea. Uh, Not that you would purposely seek to dishonor them, but now you have a relationship that is far above the relationship you have with your mother. Not even a comparison. Uh, Jesus uses a similar comparison when he says, your love for me is to be so great that it is like hating your mother and father and son and daughter. This relationship is on a whole other level. You cannot love until you have forsook all other loves. So we cleave. We leave and we cleave. The word cleave in the ESV is hold fast. It means cleave, stick together, be glued, cling such that you can never be separated. Jesus addressed this in Matthew 19.3. The Pharisees came up to him and asked him a question. It actually says, tested him by asking. Here was their question, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Commentators have argued what exactly this means. Were they asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And the idea is, I could just bring anything and divorce my wife, any cause I want? Or were they asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Just one. Is there just one thing I could use? Jesus kind of ignores the question because he assumes that they should know the answer. He answered, have you not read? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And then he said, male and female, very different, very separate. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Have you not read that? One flesh. They are no longer two, Jesus says, but one flesh. What therefore? Here is the application. God has joined together. Let no man separate. Christ-like love is faithful, steadfast, resilient, cannot be broken, unbreakable kind of love. 
steadfast until the day the Lord either returns or calls you or her home. Glued together to the very end, come what may, and it may come. Sin will come, circumstances will change, looks will change, everything changes. Your love must remain faithful. This is your calling. And so we pray along with Paul, Father, help my love to be rooted and grounded. Root and ground me in love. That is, allow my love to have depth and firmness and strength and stability and permanence. Rooted as a great tree is rooted such that whatever the winds are, still standing strong, still loving my wife. And not only that, not only do you withstand such winds, but like the great tree, you grow taller and stronger, learning now not only how to love your wife when it's warm outside, but also when it's extremely cold. As the roots of love grow deeper, the branches of your love grow stronger, and they provide even more shade for your wife. More protection, more security, more care. We remain faithful, one, because Christ commanded it. He commands, we obey. But there's another reason here that is so important. You are to remain faithful because your faithfulness is a picture that desperately needs to be seen in this world of Christ's love for his church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery, Paul writes, is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Why did he choose me for that? Because the Spirit of God resides in you. Because Christ loved you and has taught you. Because you are equipped and have absolutely everything you need. My God will supply all your needs in Christ Jesus. This is why. What would you think if someone happened to walk up and they found whatever museum this painting is in and grabbed the Mona Lisa, took it out of its case, and ripped it in two? I personally wouldn't care. I don't like the Mona Lisa. But a lot of people would care. He'd probably be sent to jail, hated by half the world's population, all because he ripped this painting. Now, we protect that painting. No one's getting close to that. Yet every single day, men and women are taking this picture infinitely greater and ripping it in two. Without a thought. Divorce is not only a broken relationship, it is a broken illustration. Christ does not promise to love his church and then to leave her when it becomes inconvenient or when she sins against him. He loves until the very end. Romans 8:35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's the question out there on the table. Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? 
No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, things to come, nor powers, nor height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what you are to illustrate. Your love had better be resilient and strong and deep and able to withstand it all. Hold fast to your wife because Christ is holding fast to you all the way to the end. Cling to her even when she doesn't cling to you or love you as she ought. Be faithful to her. Keep forgiving her offenses. Don't become embittered against her. Forgive her. Love her. Pursue her. Be reconciled to her. This is what it looks like to love like Christ. Maybe your love has grown cold. You used to love her. At least you felt that you loved her, but now it's grown cold. Your love is hanging on by a thin thread, tottering on the brink of collapse. You've entertained this idea of separation or divorce. Can I suggest something? Get to know Christ's love. Think on His love for you. Meditate on His love for you. Let His love warm your heart so that your heart can warm hers. And wives, maybe you don't know this love. You're married, but your husband doesn't care for you or love you as he ought. He's not sacrificing for you. He doesn't seem to care at all about your needs. The temptation, of course, would be to lose respect, not to care for him, not to help him. But look at how Paul ends. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband, regardless. Why? Why can you do this? Well, you remember the verse, Philippians 4.19? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Through our union with Christ, all of our needs are met. Through Christ. Maybe one of your needs is that you've got to love a husband who's not caring for you. Christ meets that need. He supplies it all. How does he do it? Union. You're unified with Christ, one with him. And you can. This is your call. Husbands, through our union with Christ, we can love like this. He will also supply all of your needs so that you can meet hers and love her just as he has called you to. Pray with me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, which puts before us a model that cannot be lived out without a desperate dependence upon you. As husbands, we confess our many failures in this area. And Lord, we humbly come to you praying and asking that you would not only allow us to understand the love of Christ,
but to humbly live it out as we follow him. Strengthen the husbands. Prepare the young men so that they can love like this. And Father, be with the wives, Lord, that they would not only submit to their husbands, but be able to respect their husbands even when we fail them. Remind us that you have provided everything that we need so that we could fulfill our calling in whatever circumstance that is. Father, be glorified with us and allow the marriages of this church to shine forth a picture of the gospel so that the world that is lost might see what true love actually is. We pray this, Father, in your Son's name. Amen.